today on City Cash Chicago. A lot of Chicagoans, including my mama, will always know the Macy's on State Street simply as Marshall Fields. And we're proud to be a part of Chicago. You might even say Marshall Fields is as Chicago as it gets. That's because the department stores and others like it played a huge role in shaping the city and the very nature of American shopping. A new exhibit at the Elmhurst History Museum opening this week examines the history of these lost department stores and can maybe give us a clue of what's next for retail in the loop. It's Wednesday, October 4th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Historian Leslie Goddard is the author of Lost Chicago Department Stores, and she helped curate the exhibit in Elmhurst. Leslie, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Happy to do it. I'm always happy to talk Chicago and department stores. <laughs> you wrote the book Lost Chicago Department Stores, and you helped curate a new exhibit at the Elmhurst History Museum. Leslie, why is the history of department stores linked so closely with the history of Chicago? Well, in a lot of ways, Chicago really developed the modern department store. And I don't think I realized this until I really started delving into it. But Chicago, which had such huge growth in the late 19th century, was where a lot of merchants started converging and started really innovating. Not just, you know, when we think of great department stores, we often think about Marshall Fields, and there was a lot of innovation done there with customer service and luxury and the, the whole experience of shopping. But you also had these amazing developments in discounting and in local neighborhood stores. And then you have the growth of mail order with Montgomery Ward and then Sears. And they're all coming out of Chicago. What are some of your memories of Chicagoland department stores coming up? Were they still in a in, in sort of a heyday when you were a child? You know, I grew up in the 1970s and my grandfather had worked at Marshall Fields and at Carson Peary Scott. So it was a big part of my life growing up. Of course, you know, we went down to the Walnut Room at Christmas time and I have these vivid memories of going from store to store, looking at the animated windows. I have very vivid memories of back-to-school shopping at the big Chicago department stores. But I don't think I realized that what I was experiencing was part of this much, much bigger story of mm -hmm. department stores. Nor did I think that a lot of these stores would be gone within, you know, 50 years. Yeah, I was like, even as a kid growing up in the 90s, there was still a Carson Peary Scott. To this yeah. day, I think we still have some of our grandmother's old Carson Peary Scott boxes that we yep. use to wrap Christmas presents, I think, 30, 40 years later. Yes. She, her and my mother were huge catalog shoppers when we were a kid. <laughs> but let's let's take it back to the late 1800s. What did the okay. area we all now know as the loop look and feel like before your Marshall Fields and, and others had set up shop on State Street? Well, actually, by the 1890s, most of them were there. And they really were responding to the huge growth of Chicago. And what's interesting about department stores is you've got to have three conditions. You've got to have a large population, which Chicago for sure was getting. But you also have to have good public transportation to get people to the stores. 
And you have to have a lot of manufacturing going on, which the Civil War certainly spurred a lot of mass production. And as the center of railroad transportation as early as, what, 1850s, you've got all these goods coming in quickly. It's the perfect conditions for department stores to grow. So they really, the growth era was 1850s, 1870s. And by the time you get to the 1890s, Chicago is built these, well, not, not the city, but the great merchants are putting up these enormous stores. You've got the, um, the fair, which built this great store that was like 12 stories tall, half a block wide. The store that later became Goldblatt, which is now part of DePaul University. I mean, this gorgeous terracotta building was put up for a department store and a lot of competition to to get customers attention because there were so many people walking up and down state street someone said at one point it was something like a hundred thousand people went through the intersection of state and madison every day someone said if you stand there long enough everybody you know eventually will walk by <laughs> Prior to the 1850s and the growth of these department stores, was the Loop known as a a shopping district? Is that where people went to get their goods, even if there were smaller shops at the time? It was not. The first great shopping district of Chicago was Lake Street, which kind of makes sense because it's very accessible to the Chicago River, where the river is going east-west. Mm -hmm. And in the days of water transportation, that was a very logical place for early Chicago merchants to set up. It was really Potter Palmer, who we remember more for the Palmer House Hotel, but he was really the one who saw Lake Street had limits. You couldn't expand it. If you go east, you're going to hit Lake Michigan. If you go west, you're going to hit the river. And he is the one who shifted Chicago's commercial access from Lake Street to State Street, largely because there was a new horse-drawn uh, omnibus system on State Street. I mean, it could have been any other street, but State Street was really good for that emerging public transportation. Obviously, you talk about the the innovation that they provided and you know, how large they were, how much space they took up. But what was different about the department stores? Why did they, you know, land with such wide acclaim and, and dominate for, for a century? There's a couple of reasons. Certainly, choice was a big part of it. And all the department stores specialized in this vast quantities of merchandise. But very quickly, different department stores carved out niches. Um, the fair was one of the first to really focus on great prices. You could buy hardware and shoes and jewelry. Whenever a competing business closed, he would buy up their unsold merchandise and say, hey, it's a new department. And some of the bigger ones, Marshall Fields, of course, standing out here, shopping became not just a chore, but an experience, you know, when you walked into the store. A recreational activity yeah. it was somewhere to hang out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was, you know, beautiful buildings and you were just surrounded by marble floors and mahogany counters in a very democratic kind of way. You could enter the buildings without buying anything. But the idea of a kind of sensory experience was 
fairly new compared to general stores. And you had a lot of um, people coming in. Of course, this was the great urbanization era. So people who had grown up in rural areas accustomed to, you know, you got your mom and pop general store with limited quantities and limited selection and set prices. Now you've suddenly got vast selection and, and a real sense of competition among the stores. Everybody's hurrying to Goldblatt's for good old-fashioned savings. It's Goldblatt's fabulous one-day-only sale tomorrow, Thursday. Goldblatt's great low prices on brand new items, values in every department, with extra late shopping hours to help you save even more. Look at these great values. So this idea of competing with ever greater discounts and and zany promotions, you know, Goldblatt's would, you know, pile up. One time they glued like all these candy covered almonds into a pyramid and they're like, you know, the, the candy coated mountain here, you know, just what I think you want, 10 cents a pound or something like that. That excitement. It sounds like it transformed more than just yeah. merchandise and commerce, but also transformed marketing, transformed yeah. the way we experience, like you said, shopping, which in many cases still is a chore. But there, there is something a little bit different. If you think about the ways people now will talk yeah. about a trip to Target or a trip to Macy's, these aren't just trips to go get groceries and things. These are places right. to go get lost and maybe come home with a, let's be honest, a bunch of shit you ain't actually need, but you de you, <laughs> exactly. you definitely want it. You, you talk about how much success was felt in Chicago. What were some other ways you saw that impact countrywide? Well, in a lot of ways, what you start to see, and, th and this is especially true it, starting in the 20s with the coming of the automobile, but in even in bigger form in the 50s with the shopping malls, you start to see these department stores opening up branches. And, and the earliest ones are very early. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Marshall Fields had a branch store in Lake Forest in 1928. But this idea of the department stores moving away from State Street and kind of um, uh, following residents as they spread out into further and further away from the city center was a big part of how they kept their relationship mm -hmm. with their customers. You know, if you're living near Ford City um, or if you're living oh. near Harlem Irving Plaza, you remember? I yeah. was going to say, I was like River Oaks, Lincoln Mall, yes, the Chicago right? Ridge. At one point, you yeah. knew these were the anchor points. This is where you entered the mall. You entered through a Penny's, through a Carson Peary Scott, through a Sears. Exactly. And so yeah. you, you you see how this, this evolution took place from the late mm -hmm. 1800s to how they stay relevant um, th throughout the, the change of the century, for sure. You talk about them in many ways, following customers. It sounds like one of the things that drove those changes is, you know, we saw the migration of hundreds of thousands, millions of people to, to suburbs. How did that yeah. change State Street, their, you know, inaugural home? It was it was a real big blow. And in a lot of ways, the store's identities were very, very distinct when their bulk of their sales, if not all their sales, were coming from their State Street stores. There was a real differentiation among the stores and a lot of store loyalty. People would talk about, you know, Weebolts is my store. Or when you're talking about something like Sears, because it was such a big company, there were families who everything in their house came from Sears. With the coming of the malls, there were a couple of things. Number one, the, the store, you had less 
variety. At each mall, you might have two or three department stores, but you're not likely to have eight or seven even. And you also, at almost the same time, when you, especially when you get into the 60s and into the 70s, you had department store chains from outside the Chicago area moving in. You see the arrival of Neiman Marcus, and, um, and you start to see the arrival of the discount stores. They really proliferate beginning in the, around 1962, that was the year of Kmart and Walmart. And, and, and so they lose, I think, some of that uniqueness that came when most of their sales came from the big state street stores. The, the more that you see suburbanization and white flight, the more you start to see state street really move into decline. And the 70s were a pretty tough era for the stores there. And then they tried to revive it. They turned about a mile of state street into a pedestrian mall. And they thought, ah, wide sidewalks. We'll put in art and cafes and no cars, just buses and it just didn't work it was desolate it It looked empty yeah and and it was it was pretty disaster by the early 90s where there had once been seven department stores there were only two left carson perry scott and marshall fields so you know i think the state street model probably just was i don't want to say it was destined but there were a lot of factors that were pushing it to to not be what it had had been which is which is too bad and which I think a lot of people get nostalgic for today. But it was it's part of the the evolution of of retail, yeah. sadly. Compared to its golden era, how does the loop stack up now in, in, in all of your research and just in terms of the number of people who come through? How much money is spent there? You know, statistically speaking, State Street is actually doing very well. I mean, in terms of um, retail sales, in terms of stores that are occupied, but it's a very different kind of a thing today. The the stores that you're tending to see on State Street are much more likely to be national chains, and they're much more likely to be discount stores, um, or they're likely to be stores that are popular for kind of nostalgic reasons. I shouldn't even say stores, businesses that are popular for nostalgic reasons. I think a lot of people still go to the old Marshall Fields building, uh, Macy's on State Street now, because they have those nostalgic memories. At this point, we have online shopping. We know malls are struggling. We're constantly hearing right. about uh, loop retail trying to make its way back from the pandemic. What do you think Chicago Land's lost department stores can tell us about the future of shopping? There's two things that are that really stand out to me. Uh, one of them is the fact that a lot of these stores really offered service. You could go into one of these stores and and they could help you find, I don't know, the perfect suit, the perfect wedding dress. They had people who were local, that the, the buyers were local and they knew what the local market was. And you might even remember they used to have, you know, delivery and they would have um, alterations on site. Customer service was a big, big part of what they offered and a big thing that people are nostalgic for. Um, And I think the second thing that people really miss is that sense of shopping as like we were talking about, an occasion, an event, that idea of the excitement of going someplace and you learn about the new fashions and you might 
might not even be going because you actually need to buy something, but you want to go out with your mother or your friend or your spouse or your kids and just kind of go somewhere and be exposed to new things and, you know, learn what the new styles are and have, um, a, you know, a piece of Frangoman ice cream pie in a beautiful setting. I think those are things we've lost with the rise of things like online shopping. Um, I mean, I don't want to say we want to go back. I think there's a lot of drawbacks of the old department stores. But I do think that sense of occasion and that customer service, I really miss it. <laughs> like, I, I could imagine a store recapturing more of that service-oriented mm. atmosphere. But shopping as an occasion, the idea of us yeah. getting dressed up for it. Do you think that's just a thing of the past? I can't imagine myself, you know, I, know. I mean, maybe I, yeah. when you're thinking about those, when you go on a trip, when you go abroad or something and, and right. that, you know, when you're, you're visiting Rodeo Drive for the first time, but for, you know, yeah. everyday Chicagoans, do you think the Magnificent Mile and, and the department store culture is something we we just have to say goodbye to? You know, in some ways, yes. I mean, I think shopping today is so much driven by discounts and, and great prices and sales and things like that. There have been some really great historians who've noticed that a lot of these department stores really catered to the middle class. And, and today, shopping is a lot more bifurcated between the discount places where you're going to get, get great prices or the luxury and the specialty stores mm -hmm. where you're going to get really high-end things. There's not really that. Because I was like, if you, you walk in Louie, they'll take care of you. They might deliver. Yeah, they might have a drink true. for you. You dress up to go there more times that's than not. True. But it, it, like you true. said, it feels like the, the service has yeah. gone one way and the idea of finding whatever you want and having multiple options may have gone the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very good way. A very good way to put it. Obviously, those three pillars in, in Chicago's orientation to them have changed a little bit, but we, we still have the people. We've still got yeah. public transit. We've still got some manufacturing, not to the, to the same degree. Right. Can Chicago ever be a center of retail like it was during the heyday or or even should it be? Well, you know, I think in a lot of ways, Chicago still is. Now, obviously, changes in transportation have shifted in the nation dramatically. But I think in some ways where Chicago still stands out to me is in terms of a center of really of real retail innovation. Um, I, I see it in a lot of uh, boutique stores that are really aiming for specifically niching to a certain customer base. Or uh, I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of Vosges Chocolate Shop, which just does those great chocolate bars that are like, you know, hot, red hot chili pepper. So it'll be interesting to see going forward. And what I love about the exhibit that, that's going on in Elmhurst is they're really tapping into, or I hope we've tapped into, the nostalgia factor, you know. But I also think it's the case that that these stores really tell us something about Chicago. And, and the story of the department stores is this ability to constantly reinvent retail and to be constantly new ideas, new uh, new ways to grab customers' attention, new ways to keep the the retail retail scene exciting. And that's, that's longstanding in Chicago. So yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it would be premature to declare that State Street is dead or any of the malls. You know, malls might disappear, but that that tradition of local shopping, in a lot of cases, it's still alive and well. 
Historian Leslie Goddard wrote the book Lost Chicago Department Stores and is helping curate an exhibit now at Elmhurst History Museum. Leslie, thank you for making time for CityCast. Uh, thanks for having me. Before I let you go, a quick reminder, for more news and events, tap into our website, chicago.citycast.fm. That's also where you can subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, and listen to the podcast episodes you miss. Of course, I got to leave you with some good news. This is the final weekend to enjoy Chicago's Asian Pop-Up Cinema, a month-long film festival showcasing films from across Asia. This Friday and Saturday, you can see four South Korean films, including the U.S. premiere of the horror comedy, New Normal. You can check the show notes for more info. As always, we appreciate you for listening. I'm back bright and early tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. Peace. A little, a little, a little, a little, a little, a little.